focus verse this morning is Psalm 23, all six verses. Some of you have that memorized in whatever version is your favorite version, um, and that's fine. We're going to read it, uh, or I'm going to read it for you, and you can follow along. I'm going to read it in King James English, so uh, some of you will trip over a word or two, or wonder why I didn't say a word or two that are added from some of the other versions. But that's all right. Uh, I think what we're going to do today is going to become quite clear in just a moment as soon as I get turned to the proper page. Here we go. We've been doing a series uh, on what we call <clears throat> Stop Running Scared. And we've talked about the foundation uh uh, for no fear living, that was our first message. And then we talked about the various kinds of fear uh, that we face, like the fear of failure. And we've <coughs> talked about that. And the fear of rejection, the fear of not having enough, the fear of losing control, and that was a fun ver- uh, message to present. A fear of commitment. Uh, last week we talked about overcoming worry. And uh, we've all got worries and concerns. Shirley mentioned uh, one that's plaguing our minds today, and that's the health of our grandson, uh, Jeremiah, and the fact that we don't know creates worry, doesn't it? Because we don't know. If we knew, well, you do this, you do the other thing, you know, this is what you have to do in order to, to correct whatever it is that needs to be corrected, but when you don't know, you don't know, and that creates anxiety, and anxiety is a synonym for worry, uh, which is a companion to fear, isn't it? So we're going to finish up that message series today with what I call, I will fear no evil. And we're going to do that using as a backdrop the 23rd Psalm. And so if you could turn there or punch there or however it is that you get there nowadays, uh, that would be uh, really very good. I've even got my pew Bible marked for that purpose today. In 1933, people think it happened in 1941. I think he repeated it at that time. But uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who is not one of my favorite people, uh, there it is. Uh, We can argue later as to why that might be. But he said this, (coughs) that... Fear itself is really the focus of fear. There is no fear, but fear itself. And that's the one, the one thing that we really need uh, to overcome. There is no fear except fear itself. Fear itself creates the problems that we have. Now, he said that in, in the backdrop of what? The Great Depression, and then we're getting out of the Depression, and then we're going to have New Deal, and I'm trying not to be political here, so I won't be. I'll just state empirical fact. There we go. Uh, and then he repeated it again, of course, at Pearl Harbor, or not at Pearl Harbor, but after Pearl Harbor, uh, as he uh, uh, were started putting us on a fitting, a footing for the, for the Second World War. Uh, so this idea of fear, and we've talked about it before, and I've said it before, 
that over and over and over again in Scripture, over 300 times, 365, 66 times in Scripture, God says, do not fear. Do not fear. Now, that's a declarative statement, but we could actually put a comma there because there's a for that goes with that. Do not fear for I am with you. Now, we sang some beautiful music today that talked about the majesty of God. And we talk about over and over again about our relationship to God and the fact that God is with us. God is with me as an individual. God is with you as an individual. God is with us as people that have called upon him. And because we have that, because we have that relationship, then that phrase that I just spoke or that sentence, fear, don't fear, do not fear, for I, God, am with you. Don't be afraid. Now, I've talked to my granddaughters that way. Don't be afraid. We can we can cross the street together. Why can we do that? Because I am with you, the, the great-grandfather that won't let a truck run over you, that 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 kind of business and we've all we've all been there and we take on that responsibility i i will take responsibility for your physical safety in this endeavor and i do that quite frequently because i have two of my granddaughters almost every day five days a week sometimes six uh and i'm not complaining about that i'm just using that as as the illustration god is with us every single moment of every single day. And he says, do not fear, for I am with you. And that's a wonderful thing. Let's read scripture together. Uh, Follow along if you care to. And where is it? There it is at the top of the page. Okay. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's take a focused look at that verse 6 for just a moment, and that last phrase. That last phrase, it says, uh, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When's that? That's now. That is right now. Do not fear, for I am with you. Isn't that what it says? Do not fear, for I am with you. Because goodness and mercy shall follow me, us, all the days of our life. And then, bonus time, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
That's called eternal life, isn't it? That's called everlasting life. That's called going to be with him uh, for all of eternity. Now, how do I know that there's eternity? Well, we learn that in the very first verse of the Bible. Careful, listen carefully. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God was already there to do what? To do the creation. So God is pre-existent. God has always been. You and I haven't always been. Because chapter 2 gives us special creation, gives us Adam, who is the great-grandfather to us all. So we have a time when we started. There is a time when humankind started. God is pre-existent. In the beginning, God. And that in the beginning, God, that pre-existing one, has told us that we will dwell in his house forever. That's why I can accept that. It's just as clear as the nose on your face. Right? I think so. Who is our shepherd? Back to the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm going to hawk a book now. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. If you haven't read that book, you'd really need to. Find it. Check it out of the library. Order it from Barnes and Noble. Oh, somebody's got it on their little device. So people are waving little plastic things at me right now. Okay, however you can get it, get it. It's well worth your time. It's about a hundred, little over a hundred pages. It's really a fantastic book in regards to understanding all of the information that's to be learned from those six short verses that, I, that we just shared together. <clears throat> Who is our shepherd? John chapter 10, uh, verses 10 and 11 say this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I, and Jesus is speaking, have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the Sheep. Who are the sheep? Us. Who's the shepherd? Him with a capital H. And the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So let's talk about Easter. I mean, there it is. Good Friday and so on. Resurrection Day. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So who is a shepherd? God is a shepherd. God's son is the shepherd. Who's the thief? Oh, let me think. Uh, must be that other one. Satan is the thief. And what does Satan have as his principal weapon against you? Fear. Fear and we've gone through the various kinds of fear, and I'm not going to belabor uh, those things too much today <coughs> as we talk about this, but his weapon is fear. 
Fear cripples you from doing what God would have you to do. Fear of rejection. There it is. There I go with the examples again. No problem with that. Fear is the principal weapon that Satan uses against you. And I'm talking to Christians now. I'm talking to people that say the Lord is my shepherd. He is. But is he really protecting me? That's that fear. That's that little element of worry. That little element of fear. The word is fear. Revelation chapter 12 says this. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven. And of course that's John saying, Now I have come... Uh, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brother, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. When you trust in Christ... I will fear no evil. I added that. When you trust in Christ, I will fear no evil. No evil. The blood of the Lamb gives me that power. That's what it's all about. That's what it is. And there's five steps to saying that I will fear no evil. At least five that I can think of. And there's probably a few more if you want to fine-tune it a little bit. We'll go through those right now. So, the five steps to uh, saying that I will fear no evil and then really mean it, uh, the first one is to identify your fear. And we went through all of that business the last several weeks. Identify your fear. What is your fear? Let me give you an example. Now, here's a fear I'm sure that every single one of us have in common. And that's the fear of driving along and all of a sudden running in, and since we're here in Coachella Valley, a sandstorm where we automate, we go from 100% visibility to zero visibility. Think about how you felt the moment you could not see the hood ornament on your car while driving 50 or 60 miles an hour. Now we could talk about fog, but most of us have forgotten what fog is because we don't have it here frequently. What's that? What is that out there? Oh, that's that stuff called fog that Earl has frequently because he lives in the fog area uh, sometimes, right? But think about that. Think of that instantly. That What's the first thing you do? Now, I can speak for me, and I think I'm probably speaking for everybody in the room, when that happens, when I become instantly blind, I immediately take my foot off the gas and I put it on the brake. I slow down like right now, as quick as I can do it. And I hope the person behind me has got the same brains and reaction time that I do or I'm going to get rear-ended. And there's another, oh, that's another fear. We'll talk about that another time. And then I adjust myself. But once that initial shock is, excuse me, once that initial shock is over, then reason takes hold and I do the things that I need to do 
in order to work through the sandstorm or the fog or, or whatever it is that has taken away my visibility, if only for a few moments. And I got hit with sand uh, near my house not too long ago uh, uh, on Vista Chino. And it didn't last, it didn't last more than maybe a hundred yards. But I, I can remember even today, even that hundred yards of zero, or not zero, but very close to zero visibility. I could not see cars coming towards me from the other way. Hopefully they were staying in their lane. I was doing my very best to stay in my lane, even though I couldn't see the line to keep myself in my lane. Ever have that fear? Has it ever bothered you a little bit? Dear Lord, guide me please. I can recall saying something like that uh, upon occasion. Upon frequent occasions. Because it happens a lot, doesn't it? It happens, well not every day, but it happens enough that we have automatic reactions to it. And the reactions don't change. I've been driving for that many years and I've been driving in fog and I've been driving in sandstorms and I've been and I've learned what I need to do and right after that heart-stopping fear strikes my body my brain finally takes over and say hey this is what you need to do and then I do what I need to do to maintain that safety fear And fear is crippling, isn't it? But you need to identify your fear. Oh, I'm not afraid of sandstorms. I can continue driving at 50 or 60 miles an hour through that sandstorm on Vista Chino or that fog bank that never ends. I mean, when you get into a fog bank, it doesn't end. It just goes on and on and on. An entire city is enveloped in that fog bank. That's ridiculous, but it's true. Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Anxious is another word for fear, for worry. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And as you know my heart, you'll show me so that I can identify those fears. Identify your fears. Identify your fears. In fact, uh, verses four and five of the psalm. I lost my place. Oh, there it is. Verses four and five. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Got that? There's a fear for you. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Do not fear. For I am with you. David, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The power of God. The power, the very power. How much power has he got? Well, let me see. Let's go back. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is that enough power for you? Hopefully, it is. And verse 5 goes on to say, You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
Now, what does that mean? And we can break that down. Prepare us to table. A table is a time of rest. You sit down at the at your dinner table, at your breakfast table, or you're supposed to. It's not that grab a bagel and run out the door. I mean, we're talking about sitting down and enjoying that cup of coffee. And oh, that's caffeine. We got to talk about another drink, uh, whatever it might be. Thou preparest a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. Leads us back into verse 4, doesn't it? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Identify your fears. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my worrisome, fearful, the word in the Bible is anxious thoughts. Step one. Step two, walk through your fears. I just gave you the illustration about fog and sand and and all of that. You know, your first initial reaction, at least mine, has always been stop. But what happens if you stop in the middle of the fog? Besides getting rammed from the back, you stay in the fog. You stay in the sandstorm until the sandstorm dissipates. Fog where he lives doesn't burn off until 1 o'clock in the afternoon and you're trying to get to work at 7.30. That's a long time to be stopped. Walk through your fears. And verse 4 once again illustrates that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because your mighty power, the rod and the staff, your mighty power is with me. So I'm able to sustain. I'm able to come back to rational thought and realize slowing down will get it done careful, observant, quit talking to your wife. And I'll have to admit, that's the other thing I didn't mention. When when I'm in fog, conversation stops. I'm fully concentrated on that which is ahead. We're not talking about what's for dinner tonight or tomorrow, let's do this. No, no, no. The only conversation that I have with my wife while I'm doing that, is do you see those, do you see those stoplights ahead? You're too close. Oh, that's called backseat driving. And she's sitting in the front seat, so it can't be backseat driving, but you got the idea. Walk through your fears. Psalm 89 says this, blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, you being God, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you. Acclaim God. Those of us are blessed who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. Now, when do you do that? Well, I think I'm going to walk in the presence of the Lord in about uh, about 20 minutes or so. Uh, so I hope, he can, I hope he can meet me on the corner. No. Because he's with us always, isn't he? Isn't he there? 
Didn't I tell you that once before? Does the scripture tell us that he's always there? And so when I walk, when I walk (coughs) in the light of his presence, it's instantaneous. It's now. The moment that I run into that fog bank, he's there. He was there waiting for me to run into the fog bank so that I could do what? I could rely upon his strength and his power. Blessed are those that have learned to acclaim God. God, you is the word in the scripture, but that's who it's referring to. So that second step is to walk through your fears. Identify your fears and then walk through them. See, it says walk, doesn't say run. Doesn't say 80 miles an hour on a freeway that doesn't allow 80 miles an hour. Oops. I'm not supposed to talk about lawlessness. Okay, going on. Step three. Lean on your God. Now there are those that say, non-Christians will say, oh, you Christians, you just, you, you're just leaning on this Jesus business. You're leaning on, on the scripture. You're leaning on God. And, and what's the answer to that? 100% right. You're absolutely right. You caught me. There it is. You caught me. I broke my foot. Hairline fracture in my left foot. How long ago? Pre-surely. So it happened like in the early... I won't talk about dates. That's none of your business. But I, that was before they had boots. So they casted me. And I was casted and because it was a hairline fracture. They didn't want me to walk on it at all. And so for five weeks, I was on crutches, which gave my armpits a new reason for showing me that they existed. Because it took about two months after that for them to get back into the proper, you know, uh, I got a haircut under my arms, both arms. Anyway, I don't want to go in there anymore. But there we are. I had to lean upon those crutches. I had to rely upon those crutches to do what I was able to do before I broke my foot. Now, those of us that have might have walkers or, or a wheelchair or, or I rely upon these. I rely upon... I haven't got a hearing aid yet, but I probably should have one. Uh, I guess I could save up the thousands of dollars. And then as I talk to people that have hearing aids, a little side, you know, there's, it's, it's not just like crutches. Get a pair of crutches and make, measure them to you and you, and off you go. No, no, no. They got to be fine tuned and, and they got to, they got to fit your personality and, and, you know, it's terrible. It'd be terrible if anybody knew you had it. So it's got to be so infinitesimally small that nobody can see it. And yet it's supposed to work absolutely perfectly so that you can hear just the way God intended you to hear from the very beginning. I don't have hearing aids. Uh, so we put up with it. Huh? Say that. What, what did you say? There it is. Okay. Lean on your God, the scripture says. Verses 2, look at verse 2. 
He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Look at that. Maketh me to lie down. Sasha, it is 10 o'clock at night. You need to go to sleep. Get your rusty little body right up in that bed. Close your eyes and sleep. Leading with love, right? And leaning, leaning upon the wisdom of your grandparent, grandparents. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Think about that in regards to the shepherd and the sheep. And we already decided who the sheep were, didn't we? I'm looking at them. And right now I'm just kind of for a moment taking the place of the shepherd, okay? I'm the one with the wisdom. I'm holding it, right? Here we are. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures because he knows that that's good for me. I need to have that. He leadeth me beside the still waters. In verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Think about that. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What does that mean? Keep my commandments, perhaps? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus said New Testament stuff. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. And this is David, (laughs) uh, who really jumped off the road, didn't he? And we won't go any further than that. You can work that out for yourself. If you don't know what I'm talking about, see me after, and I'll give you the David story. Okay? But there it is. Lean on God. In verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemy. You anointest my head with oil. All of those things are talking about what? Leaning upon him. Leaning upon God. Leaning upon God. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive you, he will drive out your enemy before you, saying, destroy him. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Verse 4 of our psalm says this, I will fear no evil, for thou, for God, Christ, art with me. Christ's rod and staff comforts me. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in the paths of righteousness. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. God. Lean on God. So we identify our fears. We walk through our fears. And we basically we walk through our fears because we can lean on God. Because we can lead, lean, excuse me, lean on God. However, And this is probably the hardest one. Give yourself time. Give yourself time. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith 
develops perseverance. Sometimes those fears take time. And I'll have to admit, and I'll use, I'll use my grandson because that's what's going on in our lives right now that pretty much overshadows everything else in regards to concern, in regards to anxiety, regards to worry, regards to, you know, whatever word you want to stick in there. We don't know. And we've, Shirley and I are praying. We pray every day for Jeremiah. We pray frequently for Jeremiah, several times a day. He hasn't made it to the back of the bulletin yet because we don't know what to pray for except pray for him. It's a lot easier for you to pray for him when you know, well, what am I supposed to pray for? Well, you know, you don't really need to know what to pray for. I'm sharing with you that Jeremiah needs your prayers. Talk to God about Jeremiah. He knows what Jeremiah needs. So you're just remembering him. The fact that you are taking God's love in your heart and translating that out to another as you pray for, as you take the precious time of your life to consider Jeremiah or consider whoever. I'm using Jeremiah as the example. It takes time. It takes time. And this has been taking too much time. Now I am talking about Jeremiah. God, I'm ready for the answer right now. How many of you have ever... That's a rhetorical question. I don't want you to raise your hand. Don't raise your you know, fingers this many times. None of that. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Strength. Perseverance. So I, as I've identified my fear and I've walked through my fear and I'm learning and I'm being more conscientious about leaning upon God and I'm learning, therefore, that I need to allow God to take care of things in His time. In His time. <coughs> Consider it pure joy. And then, the last one. Remember who you are and where you're headed. Verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 again. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who are you? Now, if you go back up and you see verse 5, and it says, Thou anointest my head with oil. And I find this to be quite interesting, because scripturally speaking, there's only three kinds of people that get anointed with oil. And it's a prophet, or a priest, or a king. They're all anointed with oil. My head is anointed with oil. Therefore, there are some prophetic duties that I have. And those prophetic duties have to do with my understanding the word of God. 
taking it in, understanding the word of God and forth telling that same word. But there's also priestly duties. And those priestly duties are speaking it out. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Let me tell you what the plan is. I know exactly what the plan is. And I can tell you what it is right now. And I don't care who I'm talking to. I I have that. That's almost a canned speech. Priestly duties. And I'm a king. How am I a king? Well, let's see. Uh, I'm in the royal family. God's my father. That makes me... Uh, I'll think of it in a minute. Uh, if he's the king king, well, I'm a, at least a prince. And princes get anointed too, don't they? I'm not sure about that. We'll have to talk to Charles. He was never was, never will be. No, I don't want to get into English uh, politics, but there you are. Oil of the Holy Spirit. We're anointed with oil of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be talking about Holy Spirit in another series as we go along. And I'll talk about that as time permits, does it permit? It might. Uh, of what we're going to be doing in the next several weeks for the rest of the year, as a matter of fact. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 says this, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And I want to read that entire verse to you and not just a piece of it. And here it is right here. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, Scripture says, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me saith the Lord. I didn't add that. That's written. Saith the Lord. Let me read that last sentence again. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. So therefore, we can go back to the first part of the verse. Every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment Thou shalt condemn. Don't pay any attention to that. The person that came to me years ago and said, do you really truly believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? And my answer was yes. And I was condemned immediately by the look on that person's face when they heard my answer. I went down about 10 points in my IQ in the eyes of that person when I made that statement. But I know that statement is true. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Why is that? Because you're with me every step of the way up until the point of my physical death, and then I will dwell in the house, your house, 
forever. My paraphrase of verse 6, Psalm 23. No fear. Do not fear. For I am with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Every single moment of the day. All of them. Every nanosecond. I understand it's a very small little piece. Nano. Do not fear. For I am with you. And who am I? I'm the God that created it all. <coughs> Think I got the power to take care of you? Think so? I think so. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you today as we take these simple words and really take them to heart. Truly make them a part of our thinking and our understanding that you are with us and that you do protect us, that you do guide us, that you are there for us, for our ultimate good. And we just ask now that you give us the strength and the wisdom to keep that in the foremost of our minds. And for this we give thanks and we give praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Page 386. We're going to be singing this twice. We are in the family of God.